Well, good morning. How are you doing? I want to let you know about something in the lobby that we just started. It's a recommended reading list. Um, It's right out there. There's a little bookshelf, and there's some books on there. This is one I recommend. Uh, It's called Rediscover Church. Um, As we're in the series on the church, I think this would be a helpful book to read. Um, That reading, recommended reading list out there is just meant to be an encouragement to you and to give you some some ideas of some good uh, books that might be valuable uh, for you to read. Um, Those books are not free, all right? Um, And so... Uh, there's a link out there that you can go to, and we've provided uh, the list of all the books on Amazon that you can go look at. So somebody walked off with one of the books already, all right, because I've been counting. And, um, and they were telling me, this is a bad idea because all these books are going to disappear. And I was like, no, people on the honor system, people will leave them. And they're like, I don't think so. And already one of the books is missing. And the title of the book that's missing is Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. <laughs> and so hopefully whoever took that book will read it and then feel convicted and bring it back. Um, no, I'm just kidding. There, there wasn't a sign when they took the book. So they, I'm sure that it was a good, a good faith decision that they took the book. But um, well, today we're in this uh, series, we're continuing this series called The Church. And we're just talking about what is the church? And we don't so much mean this church, but just the church. What is the church? Um, And so in this series, we're trying to uh, give a simple definition of the church. And each of these, each piece of this definition is the topic of the sermon um, for each week. Okay, so here's the definition that we're working with. Um, The church is a community of people who follow Jesus, who gather for worship, who publicly profess our faith through baptism and the Lord's Supper, who commit to one another, and who spread the gospel. That's what the church is. And so today we're talking about how the church is a community of people who gather for worship. So today we're talking about gathered worship, what we're doing right now. And it's worth asking, why do I need to talk to you about that? You're already here. Um, So why are we talking about gathered worship? You already came. Um, And I think because even though we're all here, uh, we can still forget what it is that we're actually doing here and what it is that we're gathering for. And even though you're here, uh, my guess is you can think of some reasons not to be. (laughs) And um, I certainly can. Um, People have all kinds of reasons for not coming to church on Sundays. Um, maybe they're just busy and that's legitimate. Like getting here even this morning for me and I feel terrible for Courtney at home as she you know, tries to corral two little girls, um, it's hard. And so you've got a lot of stuff going on. It's hard to make it. And so that's a reason. Um, maybe, and this is very legitimate, maybe uh, you've been hurt by the church or you know somebody who's been hurt by the church And that's certainly a reason that you wouldn't want to come be around church people. Um, Maybe you don't like the way that we do something, um, whether that's the music or the preaching or some of the programs that we have. And I think that's, you know, a legitimate thing. We're all there at times. Not every song that's sung is our favorite song and not every way that we sing the song is our favorite and not every sermon or preacher is our favorite. So I understand that. Um, Maybe the fact that 
Uh, you have a young and inexperienced pastor as a reason to stay home. Um, I understand that as well. Um, maybe you just have felt disconnected to the church, and so it's just it's not as appealing as it once was to come. Um, maybe uh, you feel like, well, I'm a Christian, so why do I need to go to the church? I'm already a Christian. Um, I had a friend in high school who um, his family felt that way. And so they just did church as a family on Sundays. And that was their church. They would read, you know, a scripture and listen to a couple of Christian songs. And that was church. Um, and then if you're not a Christian and you're here, maybe that's a, a question that you've wondered. Like, what is the point of, of going to church? I know that people do that. I know that's what Christians kind of do, but, but Why? Um, I think it's a valuable question. That's what we want to talk about today. And on top of all of those reasons that people might have for not coming to church, uh, there's also COVID that has made things way more complicated. Um, for people who attend church, COVID has made life more complicated because you can just watch at home. What do you need to be here for? It's actually far easier for you just to stream the service than to gather in person. So what's the deal with gathering for worship. Why should you gather? Why not just stream? And this is actually something that's hard for church leaders to wrap their minds around. I'm a very influential church leader that I follow. He's actually uh, somebody I've met before, I have great respect for, but he said this week, church attendance is not declining, it's decentralizing. It's not declining, it's decentralizing. And so it's fair to ask, well, then should we just decentralize? Do we need to be together? Why not just engage people where they are? Why try to get them together in person? Is gathering for worship in person just an archaic practice that we're trying to hold on to? Does the church just need to go digital and leave behind in-person stuff? Today, I want to talk about why I think the church must gather in person. Um, and to do that, here's the outline, okay? And this is, I tried to make this as simple as possible, but it's, it's a little bit of a strange outline, okay? So here's the outline. We're gonna look at three letters from the New Testament. In those three letters, we're gonna see three images of the church. After we see those three images, we're gonna make three observations about those images. And then we're going to ask three practical questions about the church. So if you're counting, that's 12-point sermon, okay? Um, so first, three letters in the New Testament. First is Ephesians. Listen, listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Here's the second letter, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves... As living, as living stones, a spiritual house, 
are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Third letter, Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the true confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And then Hebrews chapter 12. For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and all, for our God is a consuming fire. So those are the three letters, Ephesians, 1 Peter, Hebrews. Now we're going to talk about those three passages uh, for the rest of the message. So we're already done with the first three, all right? So now, the second three things, three images that arise from these letters, three images. First, the church is an embassy. The church is an embassy. Do you know what an embassy is? If, an embassy is an outpost of another nation within the borders of a different nation. So this is a picture of the United States embassy in Berlin. This embassy is United States territory within the borders of a different nation. And that's what the church is. In these passages, in Ephesians 2, 19, it said, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. Citizens where? Citizens of heaven. That's what a Christian is. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It says in verse 23, your names have been written in heaven. Hebrews 12, 28 says, 
since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. To be a follower of Jesus, to be someone who trusts in Jesus in his death and his resurrection, to trust in Jesus that he's the one who can deliver us from sin and death, to trust in Jesus makes you a citizen of heaven. And that means that when citizens of heaven come together, it's like an embassy. This gathering that you're part of today is not just something that you do before you go to Home Depot this afternoon. This gathering today is an outpost of the kingdom of God. This is a colony of the kingdom of heaven. That's what the gathering is. When we come together as the church, we create a little outpost of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Which means that what we're doing when we gather is we're refocusing our attention on the things of heaven rather than things of earth. Colossians 3 says, set your minds on the things of heaven, not the things of earth. That's what we do when we come together. All week, we find ourselves caught up with the rulers of this world. We're hearing about and we're talking about Biden and Putin and DeSantis and Musk. But when we gather, we are focusing our attention on the king of all kings. When we gather here, it's an embassy. We remember, wait a minute. We are existing in the borders of a sovereign nation, but we all belong to another nation, a holy nation, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that is eternal. We have come to a heavenly city. And so we gather to hear from our king, to obey our king, to worship our king. We hear his word through songs and prayers and scripture reading and sermons. We see his word in baptism and the Lord's Supper. We gather to embody the values of heaven. That's what we gather for. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We strive for holiness and purity. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We consider others ahead of ourselves. We strive to be peacemakers and live in harmony with one another. We fight greed with generosity. We live by faith, hope, and love. That's who the church is. We embody the values of heaven. What is heaven like? That's what it should feel like here. We're an embassy. We're an outpost of the kingdom. Now, do these things happen when Christians are scattered throughout the week? Of course. But there's something holy and special that happens when the church comes together, when the church gathers together. Individual citizens don't form an embassy. The church forms an embassy. The church is a little outpost of the kingdom of God. That's the first image that we see in this text, in these passages. Here's the second. The church is a family. The church is a family. It's like a family that's gathering around for a meal. In Ephesians chapter two, it says, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is a member of God's house. God's got a house. People who trust in Jesus belong to it. 
First Peter. Right before the verses that were read today, it's talking about how we need to have sincere brotherly love. And then in the verses we read, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. That's who the church is. It's a family. It's like we're the same blood. We're a, a new race. Hebrews chapter 10 starts. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, on and on. But how does he start? All of this stuff makes us a family. The gospel makes us a family. The message of Jesus and what he's done for sinners brings us into a family together. And families want to be together. Um, my family is in Tennessee. And uh, my brother and I uh, both moved out of the house. And we both have cell phones. And so we can still text. And we FaceTime. FaceTime, do you know about FaceTime? Yeah, so we can do that, but, but it's the weirdest thing. My family still tries to get together for like Christmas and Thanksgiving and stuff. It's weird. I mean, we don't live in the same house anymore. We all know that we're part of the same family. We've all got access to each other all the time. Why do we need to get together? We don't need to. What's the point of that? Oh, well, we're a family, and so that's what, kind of what you do. You just, you get together. So imagine trying to convince the Lord that, well, I'm part of the family. I don't need to come. See, there are several people that we're friends with right now whose family members are moving away. And it's heartbreaking. And there's an element of like, you're happy because like life is, you know, working out in a positive way. And that's a great thing. But why is it sad that your kids would move away or that your brother would move? Why is that a sad thing? Because healthy families want to be together. And the church is a family. And so when we get together, it's like, we're taking our seats at the kids' table together. Our father has brought us into his family because our older brother, Jesus, came and went to the cross for us and was raised from the dead. And our older brother says, hey, you can, you can sit with us. And so we get to come and sit at the kids' table in God's house. That's what the church is. It's a family. Here's the third image. The church is a temple. Now, this wouldn't make as much sense if we hadn't just studied the tabernacle. If you didn't listen to that message, you should go back and listen to that. But a temple is a place where God and hum humanity meet. That's what a temple is. 
the church is a temple. The church is the place where God meets with the world. Ephesians 2, 21. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 1 Peter 2, 5. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises. That's what you do in a temple. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, this is priestly language. And now we can boldly enter the sanctuary because of what Jesus has done. So a temple is where God and mankind meet. It's, it's the house where God dwells with his people. And the church is God's house. Now, are you as an individual, a temple of the Holy Spirit? Yes, Paul says that, 1 Corinthians. But there's something holy and special about the church being together. When the church gathers together, when we are joined together, we're being built into a spiritual house. And so, if people want to know what God is like, where do you go? If people are curious, what is God like? We should be able to say, come to the temple. That is, come to our gathering and listen to us sing together. And that'll show you something about what God is like. Come listen to us sing. Come watch us love one another. Come watch us and see how seriously we take God's word. And you'll have an idea of what God is like. The church is like a temple. That's the third image. Now, three observations about these images. Three observations. First, our worship can ascend to God because the gospel has descended to us. We can do all of those things. We can become an embassy, an outpost of the kingdom that proclaims the message of the king. We can do that. And we can be a family table that gathers together. And we can be a temple that offers up praises to God and that goes into God's presence together. We can do all of that stuff because the gospel has come down to us. We can ascend because the gospel has descended. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that all of these things that are true about the church are only true because God has pursued us. Worship starts with God. He initiates our worship by making it possible for sinners like us to be forgiven 
God sends his son, Jesus, to the earth to take up residence with us. And Jesus lives a sinless life and goes to the cross and dies in the place of sinners so that sinners like us can be forgiven for our sins and freed from the power of sins. And Jesus is raised from the dead so that we too can walk in a new way. And Jesus ascended to be with his father and someday he'll return to judge the living and the dead. This message about what Jesus has done is what makes it possible for the church to be together. We can ascend to God in worship. We can ascend to God forever someday because he has first descended to us. We are an embassy because Christ, our King, came to build his church. We are a family because Christ, our older brother, came to seek and save us when we were lost. We are a temple because Christ took on flesh and made his dwelling with us. And he opened up the sanctuary to the world through his death and resurrection. Before, we were strangers and foreigners. Now, because of what Jesus has done, we're citizens. We were not a people, but now we are a people. We had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We could not enter the sanctuary, but now we can enter with boldness. We can draw near with boldness and full assurance. We could not ascend Mount Sinai. That's the point of Hebrews 12. That's why we read it. We'll get to this in just a second. But Hebrews chapter 12 is saying, look, the Israelites were not allowed to go up Mount Sinai. But we have ascended the heavenly mountain. We've experienced something much greater. We have a destiny that's much greater than the Israelites. And why is that true? Because Jesus has come down the mountain to us. So that's the first observation. Here's the second. I played with the wording on this and Courtney helped me. So if this doesn't work, uh, it's our fault, okay? Um, The church is a gathering that will meet forever in heaven. That's what the church is. And that meets this Sunday in the local church. The church is a gathering that will meet forever in heaven. That's ultimately what the church is. We call that the universal church. Ultimately, the church is a gathering that's not on earth. Ultimately, the church is a gathering that's in heaven. This is why Hebrews chapter 12 says, uh, yada, yada. Uh, Here we go. Verse 22. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven. The church is a gathering. That's what the word church means. Literally, this is just a helpful thing to remember. The word church just means assembly, gathering. It can be used in secular usage, and then the church just started using it for themselves. It's just a group of people who got together. That's what the church is. So the church is a gathering, and it's a gathering that will meet forever in heaven. And it meets this Sunday in the local church. That's what the church is. 
The story of the Bible is the story of God gathering a people for himself, a people that will be with him forever. This is why he goes to a man named Abraham and he marks him off. And he says, your family is gonna be my family. And through your family, all the families of the earth are gonna have the opportunity to become part of my family. This is why God sends Moses to rescue Abraham's family out of slavery in Egypt and bring them out into the wilderness to worship him because God is gathering a people for himself. In the book of Isaiah and throughout the prophets, but especially Isaiah, Isaiah foretells of a day when all the nations of the earth will be gathered together at God's holy mountain, Mount Zion. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 is referencing. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. I will build my gathering. I'm forming a gathering of people for myself. Why was Jesus doing that? Because that's what God has been doing from the beginning of time. Gathering a people for himself. So the church is a future heavenly gathering that's expressed in earthly local gatherings. So the church is a gathering that will meet forever in heaven that meets this Sunday at the local church. Here's the third observation. The church's identity, all of these things that we're talking about, the church's identity is experienced when the church is together in one place. So you've probably heard something before like, well, the church is a people, not a place. The church is the people, not a place. Jonathan Lehman, whose book I recommended to you earlier, um, he's a pastor in Washington, D.C., and he says, it's slightly more accurate to say that the church is a people assembled in a place. Regularly gathering makes a church a church. And then he uses a great illustration of this, I think. Think about a basketball team for just a minute, all right? Each of the members on the basketball team make up the team, right? And are they still part of the team when they go home? Yeah, totally. Does the basketball team still exist when they're apart? Yeah. But what really makes them a team is the fact that they come together. It's not a team if you never come together and actually play. That's what makes it a team. And it's the same with a church. A church is a gathering. And yes, we are the church. And so wherever you go, like, yes, Christ is going and he's with you wherever you go. And that's absolutely true. And when you get together with another Christian at lunch, is the church meeting? Well, yeah, of course. Jesus said, we're two or three are gathered. There I am with you. So yes. And yet there's still something special and holy and unique that happens when the church gets together. When those who are, who are committed to one another as the church get together. The church is more than a gathering, but it's not less than that. Gathered worship is the primary purpose of a church. 
It's who we are. We are more than that, but we're never less than that. So a small group is awesome. I actually love our small group. And I've been in some groups that I did not love at other places. And so it's a blessing that I love it. But a small group is awesome. It's not a replacement for the gathering of the church. (coughs) Serving the community is awesome. It's not a replacement for gathered worship. Listening to worship music, reading your Bible, going on a hike, these are all great things. I would encourage you to do them. It's not a replacement for gathering with the church. The church is a gathering. We gather to worship. So that's the third observation. Now, three practical questions. First, what should we do when we gather? What should we do? How should we determine what we do? The New Testament actually gives us more instructions than I think we sometimes think or realize about what we should do when we gather. Um, There are six things that I think summarize what the New Testament says we should do when we get together. Here they are. We should pray the word. We should read the word. We should sing the word. We should preach the word. We should see the word in baptism in the Lord's Supper. And we should give to the work of the word. We should pray the word when we gather. You may have noticed over the last year and a half, we've become more intentional to try to have a designated time of prayer in our Sunday morning gathering. And we do lots of different kinds of prayer. Um, And we want to continue to experiment with that and do more of that. Something that we're also going to to start um, in the next few months, either this summer or maybe next fall, is a monthly prayer gathering where we just, on Sunday nights, get together to pray. Um, We want to gather for prayer. Jesus said, The house should be called a house of prayer. 1 Timothy 2, Paul tells the church, here's the first of all, I want everybody to pray. So we want to pray, but what kind of prayers do we want to offer? Well, in one sense, like the cry of, the cry of anyone's heart is an acceptable prayer in one sense. Absolutely. There's no special magical words or formula that you have to use when you pray. And at the same time, the word is a tremendous resource to help us learn how to pray. The word gives us language for prayer that we would not ordinarily think to use, which actually helps our prayer life. Because one of the problems with prayer is we say the same things about the same things. And that's boring. It doesn't matter who you're talking to. And so scripture can actually help give us language for how to talk to God. That's why this summer we're going to do a series on the Psalms. And we're just going to learn about the different ways of approaching God in prayer through the prayer book that we have in the Bible. So we want to gather to pray the word. We want to read the word. 
when we're gathered. First Timothy 4 tells us to do this. We want to sing the word. We're actually told to sing to God and to sing to one another. Why are we supposed to sing to one another? Shouldn't we only be worshiping God? Are we saying that we're, by singing to one another that we're worshiping our neighbor? The reason that we can be said to sing to one another is because when we gather, we're not just gathering for ourselves. It's not like, turn on the lights and everybody close your eyes and this is just you and God right now. That's distinctly not what this is. <laughs> when we gather, it's not just you and God. It's me and you guys and God. That's who it is. Um, singing to one another is a way of encouraging each other. It's kind of like this. Um, sometimes Courtney and I will be sitting at, at the dinner table with Esther and I'll say to Courtney, um, I'll say, Courtney, did you hear what Esther did today? She was so kind and helpful with yada, yada, yada. Now, I'm talking to Courtney, but it's really for the benefit of Esther. She's hearing what I'm saying to Courtney as a way of encouraging a behavior in her. And that's like what it is when we sing. We're singing to the Lord, but we're also singing to one another. It's, it's to God for the benefit of one another. When I hear Brad behind me saying, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you're the one, my heart's adore and we worship you or whatever the lyrics were. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. So we sing the word. Sorry to put you on the spot, Brad. Um, when, we, uh, when we gather, we should preach the word. We're told to do this. We should open up the scripture and see what it has to say for us. Generally speaking at this church, we walk through sections of the Bible or books of the Bible. This is a series is a little bit different, but hopefully we are still preaching the word. We should see the word in baptism in the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk about that next week. And when we gather, we should give to the work of the word. Churches actually did that in the New Testament. They would get together on Sundays, and that's when they would bring their offerings together. It's kind of cool. So that's the first question. What should we do when we gather? We should Pray the word, read the word, sing the word, preach the word, see the word, and give to the work of the word. Here's the second practical question. How should we gather? How should we gather? By that I mean, okay, so that's the stuff we're going to do, but what should it feel like? And I've shared this with you one other time, but this is a little acronym. Uh, it's a little bit lame, but um, this is an acronym that I made up just to help myself think about the kind of worship that we want to be about. We want to have word-centered worship. That's why we pray the word, read the word, sing the word. And so what does word-centered worship feel like? Well, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. All right, so uh, word-centered worship is beautiful. That is, it engages people's minds, but also their hearts. We care about truth when we gather, but not just for our heads. But when we gather, the way that we do things should also be moving to our hearts. It should engage us at the heart level. It should be beautiful. 
And that has all kinds of implications that we're not gonna get into today, but, but our gathered worship should be beautiful. It should be instructive. That is, it teaches people about who God is and what he's done and what he requires. It should help us learn. We're a learning community. Gathered worship should be beneficial. That is, it helps people follow Jesus. It helps us become more like Jesus. It helps us know more of what we should be like as a church. Hopefully gathered worship is beneficial. Liturgical. Now this is a word that gets a lot of bad rap right now because it's like, oh, are we about to become like some kind of super high church people? Uh, The word liturgy just means the order. Um, So the order of our gathering, the, the different elements and how they're arranged can be done intentionally so that it actually communicates something. If you look at the whole, and that's something that we're um, working on, but this is something that Evan, Pastor Evan, uh, when he gets here, he has a huge vision for this, and I'm excited because I think it's gonna be really cool. Um, And then last, evangelistic. That is, we do things in a way that's accessible to non-Christians. We wanna avoid Christianese and and lingo that only means something to Christians. Now, there are certain terms that we're still going to use because the Bible uses them. But as much as possible, we want to make things accessible. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, you, actually, you can actually understand what we're talking about. And by evangelistic, we mean we want to invite all of us to remember the good news of Jesus. The word evangelistic just comes from the idea of being gospel-centered. We want to we help people remember what God has done for us in his son, Jesus, when we gather. So that's some ideas about how we should gather. B-I-B-L-E. Here's the last practical question. So does it really matter if we gather? Does it really matter? Is it essential? that we gather. I think that your attendance matters. Your attendance matters. It matters to God and it matters to your neighbor. Your attendance in gathered worship is an act of obedience to God. Hebrews chapter 10 says, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Even in the first century, people were in the habit. It had become their normal practice not to gather with the church. And I want to be careful here because we're still coming out of a season where there are people who, for a variety of reasons, are uncomfortable being back gathered. And I understand that. And there's no judgment from me whatsoever on that. And everybody's got to make wise decisions for themselves and their own family. And so we have the live stream available in part for people like you. So by all means, if that's where you are, then continue to take advantage of the live stream. But if you're staying home regularly to watch online just because it's more convenient then I do want to challenge you a little bit. 
and say, your attendance matters. It matters. It matters to God and it matters to the church. It matters to one another. See, here's what happens if you watch something on live stream long enough is slowly church will become more and more about you. I can download all the content myself and it's easier and that's great. But what if the church is not primarily about you downloading content? What if the church is primarily about us coming together and slowly over time, streaming something at your house causes you to forget about you and you and you and you and you and you and think more and more about me. And so your attendance matters. The church is not primarily about me. It's primarily about we. So the church is a community of people who gather for worship. God is gathering a people for himself from all nations. It is a future heavenly gathering that will last forever. And it's meeting today at the local church. And so, when we gather, let's gather thinking about the fact that this is, we're setting up an outpost to the kingdom of heaven when we walk in this place. And so what should our attitude be? Our attitude should be one of gratitude and joy because you know what? Life is hard, but praise God that there is a a kingdom coming that will not be shaken where every tear will be wiped away. And we get to gather today to set up an outpost of that kingdom. We get to gather today, even as we bring in our burdens and our griefs, we get to gather and, and openly even weep if necessary with others who love us and who will weep with us. Rather than going through life having to just keep it together and keep your head down and keep moving forward, we get to set up an outpost of the kingdom where we remind each other, you know what? Life is hard. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. We have a king who has overcome this world. When we gather, we gather with gratitude. We gather with joy. We gather with courage and confidence. And when we gather, we greet each other. We move beyond small talk, maybe not with everybody, but with somebody. We lift our hands, not because somebody asked you to. This is not like a, if you don't lift your hands, you're in trouble thing. All right, you can do whatever you want, okay? There is freedom for you to worship like this, okay? That's how I, that's, you know. But here's the thing, I have never, nobody ever had to coach me at a sporting event to go like this when we, when we won. I just did that. That's the universal, we won. Yes, he made it. 
And that's what we're doing when we celebrate. That's what we're doing when we worship. We're also surrendering. We're saying, God, we want your will, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God, we're here to set up an outpost and say, your will be done. When we gather, we pray. We pray for one another. We pray for those who might be entering who don't know Jesus. We pray for those who can't come because of all kinds of legitimate obstacles. We pray. The church matters. It matters that we get together. The church is a community who gather for worship. Let me pray for us now. Father, thank you for gathering us. You've done it by sending your son. Father, it's in his name that we come to you now. God, would you help us to be a place that does embody the values and the culture of heaven? Would you help us to be a place that's real and sincere? Would you guard us from hypocrisy and, and faking? Would you guard us from selfishness? Would you help us to provoke one another to love and good works? It's in Jesus' name that I ask, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?